Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, you're listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast. I'm your host, Megan Cluth, and this week's guest is former pro football player and current ESPN personality, Mike Golick Jr. We talk about everything from what it was like growing up in a football household to some of the weirdest things we both ate as children. But first, a word from our sponsors. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is in full swing again after taking a break for the All-Star Game, and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the madness. The tournament is coming up, and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest, and BetOnline is the spot to be for all of your bracketology needs. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's jump right into this week's show, and thanks for listening. So I have a confession to make. I decided to have you on my podcast because after you liked one of my Instagram pictures a couple weeks ago, I got trolled. I don't know if it was by uh, one of your haters or one of my haters. I'm not really sure. I don't typically check those comments, but uh. somebody was like, oh, of course, Mike Golick Jr. is liking another blonde's Instagram picture. Are you looking for a podcast guest, Megan? And I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. Maybe you should have my podcast. So thank you. Every once in a while, those trolls serve a higher purpose there. So it's nice that we've actually put that to good use. Yeah. Who did you piss off? I need to know. Are you, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I... Maybe at some point they'll come forward and be like, hey, listen, this is what you did to me. But until then, I can only venture a guess that I am not sure. So, it, and it's weird too. It only happens on Instagram. Like I'm on Twitter and I like a bunch of people's tweets all the time. Like I probably like way too many tweets on my timeline. I'm spamming everyone else with my algorithm stuff. And it's not nearly as weird there as it is on Instagram. So they seem to have the market court about that. I can confirm that. I don't get any hate tweets. I had one person one time on Twitter, I think, like say something. I posted a picture of my dog, who's right here. She's everywhere I go. Um, I posted a picture of Penny and they said that I was talentless. And I was like, okay, uh, that's completely unrelated, but thank you for the feedback. Um, But on Instagram, people get really weird and really mean, but it's always a fake account. It's never like zero followers, egghead. Well, and then it's up and then it gets deleted right away. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's even weirder on Instagram because usually, and especially like I don't post a ton of pictures on Instagram. And so a lot of times it's someone who hates something that I said on air and apparently doesn't have a Twitter. And so they go to like a three month old picture of me <laughs> and my dog on Instagram. And they're like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, about LeBron. I'm like, it's my dog. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing here? <laughs> if your dog had an Instagram, what would the handle be? Uh, so I don't have my own dog. My parents have two pugs and they actually do have an Instagram at Hank and Harry Golick. And oh, they wow. are wonderful. So we got one little fawn pug, one little black pug. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they're very photogenic. That's the one thing we figured out early when we became <laughs> small dog people is they're extremely photogenic. I wouldn't, you wouldn't strike me as a small dog kind of guy. 
we grew up with labs all the time when I was a kid. So we had probably three or four different labs all growing up. And then I went away to college and our like good friends here were actually breeders. So they would breed labs and we bought a couple of from them and their family became, we came super close with them and their parents ended up buying a pug and they were just whispering in my parents' ear. And so I went away to college and when I came back, we had a little, we had a little baby pug. So it was the greatest peer pressure ever because now our family and their family major in pugs. So whenever we get together, there's like five of them running around just panting and breathing very heavily. Do you agree that people, dogs look like their owners? I think after a while, yeah, which would make <laughs> say, which would make sense for the pugs because we have big heads in our family. So it feels like it fits in pretty well with them, little flat snouts and usually breathing pretty heavy. We were all on the bigger side too, so. This is now a dog podcast, actually, in case you're wondering what your real purpose of coming on this show was, this show that five people listen to. It's to talk about dogs, <laughs> really. And I, um, I was asking you that because I think I look like my dog. She's just so cute and furry. <laughs> well, and you know what? She looks very unbothered right now. Like we have done all this talking and I have not seen any motion over there. So I long for that level of chill. Mm -hmm. You know, I honestly, she doesn't really normally have this. So I think I just uh, stirred the pot a little bit because now she's going to climb over here and want to be <laughs> What's laying her name? Penny. Oh, hi, Penny. She's famous around these parts. People will pull over their car to pet Penny. Wow. On the side of the See, road. That's, that's when you know you've made it, especially now, I don't know, because you're in Los Angeles, so I don't know what area, but when I used to, when like Sports Nation was still being filmed and done in Los Angeles, I would come down there and do that for, you know, like a week at a time at some points. And I would always go and stay with one of my good buddies, one of my roommates from college who lived down in the South Bay. And yeah. So I would always go walk on the Strand in Hermosa Beach and you get to pet every dog there. And so if you are famous enough for people to stop and come over and pet on the pier, you have made it in the dog world. Penny doesn't have an Instagram. And I think I, I don't, I could barely handle my own Instagram. So there's no way I could manage her Instagram because she would just have so many fans. Um, but people ask me all the time. They're like, it's like a thing in Los Angeles. If your dog doesn't have its own Instagram handle, it's like, well, what are you doing? Aren't you trying to get your dog sponsored? And maybe I should because she's, she's pretty expensive. She's high maintenance. Um, but I guess I missed the mark on that one. Um, I do love South Bay. I live in, maybe I shouldn't say this. I was going to say, I guess we probably shouldn't do that yeah. on a podcast. That's yeah. probably. Let me not reveal where I live. Good idea. Fair, but, fair point on that one. We can keep it general, but the South Bay is a lovely area. Yes, in exactly. Cal. Okay. So the, let's get to the good stuff now. Is there family just eat, breathe, live football 24-7? Um, we did for a long time, and I, I'd say it's still a big part of all of our lives. I mean, hell, two of us in my family you know, are still around it professionally, but uh, growing up, definitely, I think just because as a kid, you know, I have two siblings, so I'm the oldest of three, and I have a younger brother and then a sister who's five years younger than me, so for me and my brother, you know, growing up and in a lot of ways wanting to be our dad, we just saw football as one of the things that made him him. And so we're like, all right, you know, we're also big and we, we like to hit people and do it in a way that's not going to get us thrown in juvenile detention. So <laughs> football became a really easy place to fall in. But I think between the combination of that and then 
being raised around Notre Dame so much because my dad went to Notre Dame, him and my mom met out there. And so we grew up always wanting to be out there and playing football. Notre Dame became the combination that was always the goal for all of us. And so now I, I think the way those two things blended forever, it'll always be something really meaningful because, I mean, it changed all of our lives. You know, it, it certainly was part of the reason my dad got to where he got. It was, you know, why, you know, part of the reason he met my mom. And, you know, for us, it was the reason we got to go to the college that we'd grown up loving and idolizing, you know, me, my brother, and my sister who ended up swimming there. So I, I think, yeah, we owe a lot to football. By the way, my dad is a huge Notre Dame fan, so I grew up going to Notre Dame games with him. He didn't go there. Um, I'm not really sure how he landed on Notre Dame as his 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 uh, his team, but we're a Notre Dame house for sure. It's a it's a big so they call it the Subway Alumni Base, where like the people that didn't go to school there but grew up huge fans, and like for a lot of people, it's just because for a while Notre Dame was the only team on national TV. So like mm -hmm. that NBC deal had us on every Saturday, and. I have heard like every one of my friends whose family like grew up Irish Catholic, their mm -hmm. parents and grandparents were always massive Notre Dame fans because it was like a religious part of the weekend. You had this going on and then you either went to mass on Saturday or Sunday, but either way we were kind of built into the schedule for a lot of people. So yeah. what I'm trying to say is your dad sounds like a great guy. Yeah. Right? You know what? <laughs> a Notre Dame fan will never not tell you that they're not a Notre Dame fan. It's like first thing out of their mouth. So we're like vegans and CrossFitters. <laughs> um, I'm also from Chicago, so I feel like by proximity, we didn't have a choice, and I grew up Irish Catholic. But what did you ever feel pressure to go to Notre Dame? Like, what if you had wanted to go to Boston College? No, we were always, you know, pretty open, and, and my parents were pretty open when we started getting recruiting, kind of sitting us down and saying, this is your decision. This has no bearing on us, like – we went to Notre Dame, that doesn't mean a damn thing for you. So we took visits to other places, but I always tell everyone the brainwashing was complete a long time before that. Like if you were to walk into our house, there's an embarrassing amount and always has been of blue and gold just everywhere. And so when you grow up with that all around and when you're going to, you know, I probably went to two Notre Dame games a fall from the time I was in third grade on. And so it was just so firmly ingrained in who we were at that point that I didn't want to go anywhere else. I was the, me and my brother were both the first commitments in our respective recruiting classes to Notre Dame, because as soon as we got the offer, we're like, all right, that's the one, Like that's, that was the goal. That was the place we wanted to be. And so I don't need to mess around with any of the rest of this, but it, it was never a pressure thing. Our parents were always really good. They didn't even pressure us to play football. It was like, we just want you to, play sports and try a bunch of different ones. It's a good way to make friends. It's a good way to, you know, learn all the life lessons that come with sports. But we were really fortunate that we got to explore a lot of interests, whatever they were. What was the grocery bill like in your household growing up? It was pretty substantial. The <laughs> one that always sticks out to me is, and this is one of the grosser things I can tell a human person. So <laughs> nice to meet you, you on FaceTime. Honored. Here's the the strange. So you know, uh, like the Chef Boyardee raviolis. Uh huh. Have you ever seen? There's like a family size can of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is. I, I think it's more sodium than you need in a week. <laughs> and so I would come home from football practice as a kid, and I would have my mom make just me a whole family size one <laughs> of those Chef Boyardee raviolis to have for dinner. So if that gives you an idea of like extrapolating out for. My dad, who was still, you know, eating big at that point, and then a brother and a sister, we were, uh, 
we were giving them their money's worth. That's for sure. So mom was a regular at the grocery store. They knew her very well in a lot of the aisles with the best snacks. I would like to know her strategy. Was it just straight Chef Boyardee value size cans every week? You know, it was, it was kind of by any means necessary. Mom did a lot of like cooking and stuff like that. And like, you know, obviously doing homemade stuff, not just out of the can, but it was also kind of where our schedules were for a while. When I was a kid, dad was doing the radio show and was doing TV. So he'd be gone for long portions of the day. And so we didn't always get to eat dinner together for some stretches. Then when we did, it was a making a point of, all right, we're going to sit down, do this and enjoy it. But then you started to get into three different kids' sports practice schedules. So now that's all over the place. And so uh, my mom, given all of those circumstances, did a better job than any human person should be allowed to do in that spot. We always had great meals on the table. She always took that time and care, even while she was also having to shuttle us to those practices and and do a lot of the unsung hero work and that. So I still don't know how she did it. At some point, I probably need to sit down and get that information because it'll help me later in life. But it is uh, unbelievably impressive. Well, nowadays, you could never feed your child Chef Boyardee out of a can. That would be basically child abuse. It has to be gluten-free, dairy-free, and fresh. Yeah, I would say I would I would love to find the farmer's market version of Chef Boyardee now, like the lengths you would have to go in drying out your own pasta, hand cranking <laughs> it through the thing, laying it out on the wire, all just to get back to a can of something that I could have made in five minutes. Kids these days will never know the joy of things that came out of cans. Do you remember um, Easy Cheese? Easy Cheese? I actually missed this one. You did? Wow. Yes. Wait, how old are you? I feel like we're the same age. I'm 31. Same. Okay. Well, then yeah. I don't know what kind of rock you were living under. Maybe your parents treated you better than mine did. But well, this might this could be a Midwest thing too, because growing up out in Connecticut, we may not have been cultured enough to find our way to Easy Cheese. So <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to do some light googling here. Let's. Since you revealed something disgusting, I will also reveal something disgusting. I used to put easy cheese on every single one of my fingers. It was cheese that came in a can, like a whipped cream can. And I would put it on every single one of my fingers and then lick it off my fingers. Yes, there we go. All right, so you know what? Now you say, now we've got the mutual bond of yes. something shared. And, and I just, by the way, I just looked it up. It's like Cheese Whiz. So yes. it's Cheese Whiz by a different name. Got it. Maybe that was like the, the um, dollar store version. Cause I do remember cheese whiz, but maybe I either I made up the name easy cheese or it was like the dollar store version. I can't remember, but nope. it, it is, it is very real. I just Googled <laughs> it. So it checks out you and easy cheese, very <laughs> legitimate here. And I can confirm I have also had plenty of that in my life. So you have, okay. So yeah. okay, we're on the same page. It's delicious. Let's bring it back. I say, screw these fancy charcuterie boards and let's just start up easy cheese, cheese whiz gang. I'm telling you, it's it just sometimes being able, especially for something like that, kind of like the whipped cream mantra, anytime it can just come out of a can <laughs> like that makes every part of this easier. And you're right. The more accessible charcuterie board, something that more resembles like the Lunchables when we were coming up, mm -hmm. feels like there's a big market for that now, especially we've worked our way through this whole pandemic year where Everyone might have showed out on their charcuterie boards early, but we have no time for that effort now. No, no. Banana, the days of banana bread and charcuterie boards are over because we're coming back, baby. Also- I forgot about banana bread. Banana bread had a real big moment during <laughs> quarantine. And I'm just thankful that it's over because I think I made probably, oh, I can't even keep track, but at least 50 banana breads during quarantine. Wow. 
Yeah. And then I started putting chocolate chips in them. And what was your quarantine go-to snack? My quarantine. So I went through, this was, this was when it got, you know, cause I went through like three different dietary habits during quarantine where I was like, all right, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do this, that, and the other and be good. And then I would just completely fall off the wagon for a couple of months there. And so one of the times I fell off the wagon, it was delicious, but um, I don't know if you know, I guess growing up in Chicago, you might've shot greater ice cream. No. So it's a Cincinnati based ice cream company, but they're kind of, they're in some store somewhere, but it's awesome ice cream. And I ordered a batch from them and because I knew them, they were kind enough to send a few extra. And so I went on a stretch where I want to say for 12 to 15 days, I had ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> I would just wake up, I would pop one of those open and I'd be like, all right, this is how we're going to start the day yet again. And I made it a thing for a while. And then my doctor's like, dude, your cholesterol is not in a great place. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to not have ice cream for breakfast anymore. You know what? You got to live a little. When, when times get dark as they were over the last year, this time last year was really when things were starting to shut down. So I don't, uh, I don't blame you. Your um, toilet paper had its moment last year. I feel like I'm still triggered by toilet paper. Like, I feel like there's a bunch of little habits we're going to take with us out of quarantine, buying bulk toilet paper. Uh-huh. I guess it's not the worst thing that we could do. Like having that stocked up is probably a good thing, but. Yeah, I'm ready for it to be over. You're a very entertaining follow on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. And I really enjoy your videos of what you're going to do right when you get the vaccine. Do you have a plan for when are you getting the vaccine? But before we get to that, I want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether Deadstock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team actually verifies the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the destination for discovering great value and a unique selection. Uh, so at this point in time in Connecticut, it's looking like my age range is going to probably be available maybe if it moves up at the end of April, but most likely it's looking like the beginning of May is when like 30 to 35 will be eligible for the vaccine. So my plan after that is to get on a plane. I don't know where, and I don't know what on the other end. Like I have a lot, like a lot of my friends have uh, young kids right now. And so I haven't seen them in a while. So I'd like to get around and like see my goddaughter, see one of my friend's new babies. But I also just want to go back to the airport I haven't been on a plane since last March. I'm coming up on a year since my last flight. And for work, I used to be on the plane every weekend. I, I think you could count on one hand the number of weekends I would spend home in a calendar year when world was normal. So I just need to go and park at the airport and go in and then I'll feel a lot better. <laughs> Which life do you prefer though? Do you like, do you miss being on the road that much or do you like being able to be home? Um... I think I miss being on the road. Like I, 
we're like you said, you know, you guys, you know, LA had two rounds of shutdown. We were all doing this for a while. And so we did it long enough to kind of get to appreciate like, all right, for a while I was doing a radio show with my dad in their basement in my parents' basement. Like I got to see my mom and dad every day. My brother and sister both live in Massachusetts. So they're super close by and getting to do all that and spend that time, like, especially now as we're all getting older, we know we'll never get that back. So that part was awesome. But I like freedom of movement. Like I like being able to go places, be places, you know, for my friends, with my friends, and just kind of get to experience all those different things. Cause like I said, I, I did grow up in Connecticut, so there's not a ton to do around here. So I got to kind of outsource my fun and a lot of my close friends are all across the country. So I am uh, very much looking forward to getting back on the road. I'm with you on that. Um, you bring up your dad and I want to ask you a question. Do you ever feel like, I'm sure you get this all the time, but that you were um, living in his shadow because you did follow in his footsteps. So playing um, at Notre Dame and then professionally and then going into broadcast, do you get that comparison a lot? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. We, I mean, it, starting from when I was getting recruited, it was always, it was always going to be there from the outside. And that's one thing it's, 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 people are always going to talk and a lot of people that don't know you are always going to just stick with whatever opinion they want to. And I realized pretty early on, there's not a lot I can do to change that. I can, you know, work hard and change the opinions of people around me, but I, I, it never felt like a negative to me just because he was always, you know, he was obviously a great dad. So that helps right off the bat, but he was always just just a helpful resource to us too. It was all right. If this is what you want to do. And when that it became football and going to Notre Dame and for me, eventually trying to get into sports broadcasting, which was, you know, his next career after football, he was always like, all right, if you want to do this, we're going to, you know, we'll go all in a hundred percent. We'll do whatever we can to help you. And so he had this roadmap for all the places that I wanted to go. And so he was always something that I could bounce stuff off of when I couldn't get feedback other places. He was a great place to go for feedback and someone who knew me, knew the things I did well and didn't do well. And so it always just seemed like it was such a huge help that I, I never really felt a lot of that like in the shadow negativity of, oh my God, I'm never going to get away from the specter. And then once we started working together, I mean, that's, you know, that'll be the best thing I ever get to do professionally. So that's, alone is worth any ounce of criticism from someone outside I feel like a lot well not I feel like I know a lot of broadcasters there's a learning curve like you start off very green your voice you don't really have your voice yet from the very beginning I remember like my first reel it looked like uh somebody had like ran over my dog in the street like I just had no expression on my face I was very monotone did you just like come out of the womb ready to do this or did your dad give you some pointers uh I, I always was a chatty kid like I was always holding court in the locker room I very much had that like same personality that he did I like being around people I like talking and, and, and that part came naturally and I always kind of knew that I wanted to do it but like you just said I go back and look at because I was fortunate to get to do a lot of like behind the scenes stuff when I was at Notre Dame with the football team so the digital media department there was just getting going and so we me and one of my buddies got to kind of take everyone behind the scenes and when I go back and watch that stuff or some of my like early stuff from when I got to ESPN, because again, I got to ESPN in fall of 2015. And so, I mean, just seeing, like you said, like my first time on TV, I was straight up and down like this, 
unsure what camera to look into and just like you said very unsure of myself in a lot of that and so for as much as I knew about it and as much as I had like a lot of the basic tools there is still that difficulty of relaxing enough to be yourself in that space as opposed to trying to be what you think that job is supposed to be. Exactly. I think that's like one thing that young broadcasters think that they're supposed to look and sound a certain way. And the people who are really good at this are the ones that are the most relaxed. Those are the ones that are the most fun to watch. But I'm sure you've had like coaches and stuff at ESPN as well, right? Yeah. Well, and I've been fortunate to know a lot of the people, uh, again, you know, my dad got here in 98 and a lot of the people that are my superiors now at ESPN were producers on his show were producers on Mike and Mike when they were, you know, young and like my age when I started at the company. And so I've had a lot of these relationships for a long time. And so there's a lot of trust. And so I know I can go to these people for feedback. I know that I, I can trust their opinion where it's coming from. And they're also not afraid to give it because I'm sure you know this. It's, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of times in this job, I feel like there are people that are afraid to give direct feedback to a lot of folks because they're afraid of hurting feelings. And I'm like, I had, I played offensive line. Like I had some of the coaches that would dog cuss you worse than anyone on planet earth. <laughs> HR will stop you from saying anything that can hurt my feelings long before you actually get to that point. So yeah, I, I've been super fortunate in that regard with a lot of those relationships with, with people I, I trust to get that feedback who were really helpful to just do that and to, to give me the reps and the chances to make a lot of those mistakes and figure out what my comfort level sounded like. So this podcast is called Moment of Cluth because I like to ask um, about what your truth is, what your drive is behind what you're doing. And if there was a moment in your personal or professional life where you knew that you weren't being authentic to who you are, can you pinpoint a moment that you realize that? I would say for me, especially in this job, like we talked about in the, in the means of learning how to be yourself, I was always a huge fan on our era of the Dan Levitard show. The guys down in Miami, it was like the cool kids table at ESPN. They were such a fun show. And I had gotten to start working with one of the hosts on the show. And they invited me down to South Beach to fill in on the show one time when one of the hosts was out. And I was like, all right, like, this is finally it. I'm so excited. And I listened back to the shows after and I was like, this sounds terrible with me on it. Like this thing that I love sounded terrible. And I was like, I was so concerned with trying to sound like I understood the show and I was in on all these things that I liked instead of being the person that they wanted to come down on the show in the first place. And so that was one of the moments and it was, you know, probably three, four years ago now already but it was very much like a spot for me where after that I was like, all right, like I don't want to feel like that again because I've got a lot of people around this company that I really like that I really want to work with and that I'm fortunate to get opportunities to. And so when I get to those moments, I don't want to have them greeted by somebody else. I want to be there. I want to be me. And then if that's not good enough, that's fine. But at least I know it was me that was there and not me trying to imitate whatever I thought belonged in that spot. That's a great uh, piece of advice because I do feel like a lot of young broadcasters listen to this podcast. Um, so your advice to a young broadcaster would be what? Uh, it, it, would, it would kind of be an offshoot of that. The first, the first bit of advice my parents gave me and the one they give me and my siblings consistently going into every situation is be yourself. And maybe it takes you a while to figure out what that is, but it's 
you look around all of this and you look around this industry and especially now there's so much information out there. People can get so much stuff online. People can find it themselves. And so at some point, you're going to try to teach people something and you're going to try and bring some unique knowledge, but it's also going to be about delivery. I can listen to people talk about football anywhere, but the podcasts and the shows I listen to are ones where I like the people where either the conversations involved feel like real friendships, or I just feel like the person talking is someone I'd like to know. And so that doesn't happen if I'm holding back parts of who I am. And so I got to watch that for, you know, 20 years from the cheap seats when my dad was doing it and he would talk about our family on the show. And so that was always something that I wanted to make sure if I was ever feeling kind of lost, I would go back to, all right, you know what, let's bring this back. Let's make it personal. And let's make sure that I'm just, you know, going to be myself on this is as simple as that sounds. I used to always laugh at the advice. And now I sit here and I'm like, it is the only true thing sometimes that I know. So that's great advice. Um, fun fact. You and I overlapped in New Orleans. Oh, no my, kidding. Yeah, my first season there was 2015. I think you left in September 2015. Yep. Like I say, I was there that off season and then got cut right in September. So like right after the start of training camp there. Yeah. At the time, training camp was in West Virginia. So I wasn't at that training camp because then it moved back to Metairie. But um, I do remember like seeing you one of my first days on the gig and the gig you saw me at my absolute football heaviest <laughs> at that point because that was like my third round I was that was my second time in New Orleans so I had done a stint there in the off season the year before um and then got cut right around June and so when I came back that second time I was like you know what I'm really gonna try and like explore and have fun around here on the weekends when I get a chance and like try some of the restaurants and everything down there is so deep fried and wonderful oh, yeah. that I was like oh man, this is probably like five or eight extra pounds I didn't need here. So you saw the biggest bearded me possible. That's exciting. The biggest Megan was the one when I left New Orleans as well. So I moved down there gluten-free and that lasts like 10 days because oh, everybody God. was like trying to feed me like, you know, the, um, the seafood platters there to anybody who's never been to New Orleans. Um, a seafood platter is not raw seafood. Like I envisioned it to be like, raw shrimp and oh yeah all the yumminess but everything is is breaded and deep fried and then it's on a bed of potato it's on a bed of french fries so everything's brown i call it the brown platter um so i, I don't actually have like a gluten allergy i'm not celiac but i was at the time doing it because i read this book called grain brain and i was like oh i'm just anyway did not last very long you when you go to new orleans you have to eat everything so you were doing yeah. it right that is that is the place where any sort of like vegan affinity or gluten affinity goes to die because exactly. it's also like the minute you have a bite of it, it's like, this is too good for me to withhold from myself. The minute someone takes you to like a crawfish broil in someone's backyard, yeah. you're like, I don't know why we would live any other way. This is right. awesome. Or like king cake for breakfast every day. Oh. What was your favorite restaurant in New Orleans? My favorite restaurant in New Orleans, God, I'm going to struggle for the name. So like that whole lower garden district, when you get past the highway coming from downtown, had a bunch of places I would check off. There's a breakfast place I'm not going to be able to remember, but there is, there was also a hot dog stand down there. that Lucky served dog. Yes. It served alligator hot dogs. Yes. And I was like, this is incredible. I am now living, getting to go down here and just 
have the weirdest meat varietals made into hot dogs. So I think I'm I know sure which breakfast place you're talking about too. It's on Carrollton, like the yes. tree street. I can't remember the name of it either, but great breakfast. It was, oh, it was uh, Cooley's. Yes. It was Cooley's. It was there. It was awesome. They had like the paper placemats that you could color all over on the table yes. and stuff when you had little kids there and they just had unbelievable breakfast anytime like my parents or anyone came into town that was always the place I took them was Cooley's I miss that city that's probably gonna be the first place I go when we get back on planes and can travel I was at Mardi Gras last year which was like basically a super spreader event and nobody realized it (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say new everything that happens in New Orleans now in hindsight is a super spreader event if you were to introduce disease but And I was very sick after that. I don't know if it was the Mardi Gras and like the seven days of drinking or if I had COVID, I have no antibodies and nobody knew to take like COVID tests at that point, but I was very sick for like a week. So man, surviving Mardi Gras with any, (laughs) with or without COVID is impressive. I did jazz fest when I was down there. I had not yet upgraded to the Mardi Gras level of festivity. So you've gotten a lot of my respect for that. You are missing out. You have to put that on your bucket list. It's so fun. It's, it's more than just one day. That's the thing that people don't realize is the Mardi Gras is 12 days. The parades actually start like in early January and the closer you get to Fat Tuesday, the larger they get and the bigger the floats get and they're really like family events. So you're doing crawfish boils in people's backyards and um, people are catering with canes, more brown food and it's just delicious and fun and it lasts, I can't even, I mean, I went down for four days last year and I was like, how did I used to do this for two weeks straight? I was not. It is really amazing. The the stamina that we have left behind in our 20s is remarkable. I know. I'm suffering right now. I had a girl's wine night last night and I had like four glasses of wine. And today I'm like, I can't do this. I can't live. Shut the blinds. This is it's it's unbelievable. I I started getting into, I think like everyone, like wine also became the guilty pleasure of quarantine. Yep. And there was a point where I was like, all right, you know what? Like we, we worked our way to a whole bottle by accident last night. <laughs> we found our limit there. That is not a good idea when we're hanging out here in the next morning, especially if I want to try and get on air and sound like a human being later on. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, how's your rug doing? For those listening to this, all five of you, um, Mike spilled wine on his rug and I DM'd you how to get the wine out. So. Yes, and it actually worked really well. I am... Uh, <laughs> I am very, very like much a dumb guy living by himself at certain times. And so (laughs) that was one of those instances where I had to throw it out to the internet to try and get some help. And you came to my rescue and between that remedy and just the rug being brown in general, we managed to survive that one. So I get to look like an adult still, which I appreciate. So thank you. Excellent news. Excellent news. I'm glad to hear it. So at the end of this podcast, I'd like to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie, where you tell me two truths and one lie about yourself, and I have to guess what the lie is. Ooh, all right. All right, this is good. Two truths and a lie. All right. We will go with I... I'm trying to, I'm trying to think now of like things that aren't right out on social media that are easy to find too. Um, all right. I was one of the leads in a play and had three solos performing, uh, Oliver twist. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and I was an academic all American at Notre Dame. 
How oh wait, Hold, you know what? Hold on, I have to. Are I those just all true? <laughs> I just realized I told you all truths, and now this sounds like the weirdest, like uh. weird, lame, humble brag, which I promise <laughs> isn't true. So <laughs> now Lex over here. Yeah, no. Wow, is that like the peak <laughs> of just debaggery right there? Um, <laughs> so now, now I've got to almost give you three you new start ones. Over. Here. Yeah. yeah, really planned this out poorly. <laughs> all right. Let's see. I am going to go with, I have been to Africa twice. I have swum with sharks, great white sharks. And I have been engaged once previously. I'm going to go with the lie is you've been engaged once previously. That was very easy to pick out. <laughs> I I really thought I was going to have something with the shark thing in there. I thought that was going to be a nice red herring. We would have to go on a whole nother, we'd have to have a second podcast to find out about this canceled engagement. I would want details. So I'm actually glad that one's not true because otherwise we'd be doing a dating episode next. I figured that's why it's so inviting. Cause like the minute you hear that about someone, you're like, Oh my God, I want to know more about this. So. I know. And I don't even have the fancy zoom account with the extra timing. So we have like one minute left on this podcast. So good thing that was a lie. Otherwise I would have to restart this video. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're hitting the heart out. I love yep, it. We're about to get kicked off. So, thank you so much for joining me and coming on my podcast today and you're my first guest in four months so shout out to the uh instagram troll who brought that who made this happen there we go sometimes they're for good things thanks for having me <laughs> thank you for listening to the moment of kluth podcast now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts i'm your host meng kluth if you enjoyed this episode please download it and share with others Subscribe to be notified when new episodes air, visit meganclute.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews, and stay tuned for more great conversations. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.